spectacular. Go and get your tithes, do what you've got to do. Kids can go out. The children. If you've got a Bible, can you turn to Ephesians in that Bible? Bit of a parent warning. Okay. If you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians for me. I want to show you something very quickly. I'm very excited about my sermon this morning. I'm hoping I'm not going to go over, so please bear with me if I do go a little bit over. If you can turn to Ephesians and just, just get the whole book in your hand like this. The whole letter. Oh, no, if you've got it, yeah. If you've got it, yeah. Still hold it up, hold it up. This is our fifth week on Ephesians. And I know we've got at least two, maybe more, coming. This is how much of the, of the scriptures we've been teaching on for what will be eight weeks. This much. And we're not, we haven't even touched the iceberg. There is so much in this that we've missed out. That I, as, I'm, as I'm prepping a sermon, I'm going, man, I, there's so much that I, I want to do, but if I put it in today's sermon, it's going to be three hours and we're still not going to have gone where I want to go to. This is so powerful. The scriptures are so incredibly powerful. If we can stay in two pages for eight, maybe 12, maybe 20, depending on where God tells us to go next, how much more of this can change our life? How much more can God speak to us through these pages to actually unlock something? Next week's sermon, Brad is going to be, be bringing a little bit of an M-A-R-rated sermon. So please, if you bring your children, make sure they go upstairs. We're going to get a little bit rowdy. But it's in here. It's in here. He's only going to preach out of stuff that he sees in the scriptures. We have to, as I'm going to preach today, we have to learn as a people and children of God that there's something for us to do, and I'm going to touch on that today. But two pages in eight weeks. Guys, we don't want to just keep moving on and moving on and moving on. At the end, when we feel like we're finished with this series, I'm going to do a question and answer time so that we can go back through these things in Ephesians, and I'm going to get everyone who's preached up so we can ask more questions. Because we need to be growing out of this. We are in the midst of of a very, very big change coming to Australia. We are in the midst of of a very trying time. The stuff we're seeing in the news, the stuff that we're seeing with, with, I don't want to get into it, but with Israel Folau and with with other areas of of Scott Morrison being egged and and whether you you like him or not, there's a, a change in the winds in Australia. And we have never seen a move quite like this in either way. My heart beats for the Australian church, as I'm going to show this morning. I was in a meeting last week um, about domestic violence in the city with the mayor about how we can fight back. And a, a friend of mine who leads a church here in the city, a good friend of mine, who's become a good friend very quickly, He said something that I don't think he realized was as prophetic as he said, but he said in this meeting in front of probably 50 or 60 church leaders and and other leaders, key leaders in the city, he said the church is a sleeping giant. And I I sat there and I heard it and I thought, yeah, you know, that's that's a pretty easy thing to say. I, I heard what he was saying, but he said he was talking about the area of domestic violence. But as I went home and I started reading back through Ephesians, just asking God, what, what do we do? Where do we go from here? I saw this verse I'm going to show you. And, and Paul reads from Ephesians 5, verse 14. He says, therefore, Ephesians 5, verse 14. He says, therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And instantly, this thing that my friend said about the church being a sleeping giant dropped back in my heart. And I thought, flip, he's right. He's right not just in the area of domestic violence. He's right in every area of our lives. The church, the body of Christ, the very very hands and feet of Jesus is asleep at the wheel. And I started to unpack this a bit and I I thought, God, what what are you showing me here? What what are you revealing here? And I I 
Paul often quotes other scriptures. And I went back through and you know, this thing that Paul says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's not read like that anywhere else in the scriptures. He is quoting an Old Testament passage, but he's not quoting it exactly as it's written. He's, the the Testament passage, Old Testament passage he's quoting is Isaiah 60, verse 1 to 2, that says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That's where we get, I'm sure many of us have had your mum say, Rise and shine. That's where we get that from. It's from Isaiah. That's talking about the fact, Rise up, people, and allow the light of God to shine through you. That's what the verse means. It means awaken, rise up. And as I started to dig into this more, I was saying, okay, but what are we awakening from? What do we have to awaken? And in old Jewish thought, sleeping was seen to be a picture of being dead while your body was awake, was alive. So they saw sleeping, it, it says it looked as though he was dead in the scriptures we read. It means he was asleep. So his, his eyes were closed and he was laying. He looked as though others were, were dead. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying to the church in Ephesus, open your eyes and stand because you look like everybody else around you, yet you're alive. As I saw this, I sat back in my chair and I just began to cry because I was like, God, that's the church. That's where we're at right now. We've closed our, our eyes and we've laid down beside those who are dead. But we're alive inside. So we don't actually know who we are. We're not actually operating out of what God gave us because we've closed our eyes and we've laid next to those who are actually dead. And as I started looking around the church in Australia, I started saying, oh my goodness, how much of the dead world has crept in to our church? But they didn't do it. We laid down beside them. We decided, you know what, it's easier to close my eyes and pretend like I look like everybody else because then I don't have to challenge the status quo. Whether you like the story or you, you like the man, Israel Folau has done something that the church needs to understand. He's opened his eyes and he stood up and he said, I will not lay down like everybody else. Amen. And I look at that and I go, flip, that's the church. And it needs, the body of Christ needs those of us who are mature and ready to do what he's asked us to do, to open our eyes and to stand back up. Because what we've been reading, what we've been seeing in the last five weeks in Ephesians, it doesn't look like the rest of the world. It baffles me when people say that, you know, that doesn't happen anymore, that's not this or that's not that. When you read the scriptures, it's powerful how spiritual this thing is. Everywhere through this, there's nowhere in the Bible where I read and go, yeah, that's pretty placid. A man baptizes a guy, then he disappears. And we go, that's pretty placid. We shouldn't see that stuff. We go into a service and someone falls over and we, and we lose the plot. The guy disappeared in the scriptures. What do you do with that? When we flip through, these, when we flip through the incredible testimonies, of the power that Jesus had, we've got to start to realize it's got to open something up in us. It's got, to, it's got to begin to arise. We've got to begin to say to ourselves, okay, God, I want to open my eyes. I want to awaken. Oh, sleeper, you who looks like those that are dead. One of the things I've been talking with Paul quite a bit the last few week, weeks, and I've, and I've been saying to him, you know, more and more I, I feel like God is is directing us not to fill churches with people, but to actually unlock people into who they are. Actually unlock what God has already put inside them. So I, I, there's a few guys who have been talking to me about, about either plugging into this house or plugging into other homes. And I get so excited for them, not because, oh good, you should be in a church as a good Christian person, but because I know that they're stepping into more of what God has for them. They're unlocking those parts of their soul and spirit, man, that's saying, God, I want more from you. I want more in you. I want more to come through me of you. They're doing what Paul's asking the church in Ephesus to do. They're awakening. They're opening their eyes. When I hear stories of guys who are, are sitting with other friends and discipling them, I get excited inside because I'm going, yes, you're awakening to what God has for you. Your eyes are opening. You're starting to look different. You're changing the way that we actually see what we're supposed to be doing. We need to arise, church. 
We don't see this again until, well, sorry, we, we see this again rather in, in Revelations 3.3. Jesus says this. He says, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. He's talking to the church in, in uh, Sarsus, Sardis. Rather. But he's saying, he's saying to them in that verse, you can go and read it, Revelations 3.3, he talks about the fact that they've spoiled their garments, that their garments were white, they were made righteous, and they've gone and dirtied them. They don't look as though they were supposed to look. They look different. They carry a different image. I spoke about that two weeks ago. They carry a different picture than what they were supposed to carry. They were supposed to carry and look righteous, and yet they've spoiled their garments. And then he says, if you will not wake, I will come like a thief in the night. We have to, have to, have to open our eyes. And I'm going to explain how I think Paul, what Paul goes on to say, we need to do that. But church, this is what Jesus is talking about in Revelation. And it's very interesting. It's what I think Francis Chan was saying when he left his mega church. He said, there's so many of you here who don't know Jesus, yet you come every week. What he was saying was, you look asleep like everybody else. Your garments are spoiled. Your garments are, are dirty. They're, they're not as they were supposed to. I made you righteous. I made you clean to operate out of who I am. It's not, a, it's not a thing that we're supposed to carry where I'm trying to make my sin look all right. It's, God, what do you want from me? Who am I in you? You will stumble along the way, but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about operating outside of, of who you are of who you are not, not who you are. So Ephesians 5 verse 15. I think, I think what Paul's doing here is he, he asks the church to, to awaken and then he continues on to explain areas in which we need to awaken. 5 verse 15 says this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. The wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God, which I also preached on, the manifold wisdom of God is the place we're to operate out of. Paul speaks about the wisdom from above, not the wisdom from below. We're to operate from a place of his wisdom, divine wisdom in God, because it's in that place we actually begin to reveal who he is. Because when God asks you to do something of his nature, of who he is, it brings about exactly who he is in that place. When God says to you, forgive that man, your boss at work, we think it's about us. And it is about you, but it also reveals something to you, to that man of who God is through you. When we change, when we don't act, act the way that guy thinks that we're supposed to, when we don't act the way the waitress thinks that we're going to, it changes their grid to say, what is different about this person? Instantly, it gives you a, a place to, to express the gospel. That's the spiritual place we come from. When you've, been, when you've been given $50 more than you're supposed to in change and you take it back and say, hey, I'm really sorry, I think you gave me too much. And they look at you and they go, why are you bringing it back? I'm bringing it back because I operate from a wisdom that's above, not below. You change people's grids so simply. God is saying, understand, sorry, uh, Paul is saying, understand the wisdom and act as wise, not unwise. We seek God in these things, in the small things. In 2 Chronicles 1, 7, uh, 1, 7 to 13, Solomon does something very spectacular. It says, In that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father and have made me king in his place. Lord God, let your, let your word to David my father be now fulfilled for you have made me king over a people as numbers, sorry, as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before these people. For who can govern these people of yours, which is so great? God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of these, of those who hate you and have not, sorry, have not, even ask for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people of whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. 
I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings who, who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. So Solomon came from the high place of Gibeon, for before the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. He asked for one thing, wisdom. Give me your wisdom. Why did he ask for wisdom? Because he knew if he had the wisdom of God the Father, everything would outwork how it was supposed to. You see, we strive and stretch for the one thing we're looking at, but God says, ask my wisdom and I'll reveal it to you and all these things will be added unto you. I'll show you my wisdom in that small area and that will unlock something to you you've never seen before. That's what God is asking for us. He's saying, my people, ask for my wisdom. I love the fact that we go into we, we go in and we and we're pressing for the presence of God. I love that, I do. But I think we miss something in the fact of in our prayer life, we start singling out the things that we need rather than saying, God, give me wisdom in all of who you are. My prayer all the time is God, show me your way so I can do it your way. When I pray about this house, that's my prayer. God, show me the way you want it done, and I'll do it. But I've got to see it your way because my way is going to fail. My way is not going to communicate well. I'm not going to get the admins in place. God, give me your way. Give me your divine wisdom and I'll use my hands to make it happen. That's what God's asking of you. In your job, he's asking you to know his divine wisdom. In your families, in your marriages, he's asking you, ask for my wisdom and I'll give it to you. I look at some of these phenomenal Christian ministries and I go, how did they make that happen so quickly and so tirelessly and so honoring to God? I think Brad hit the nail on the head last week when he said they had grazers on their knees. They put knee to carpet and they prayed and said, God, what is your will for me? What is your will for this thing? And they stepped into the fullness of that. We have to be chasing the will of the Father. We have to understand the wisdom from above. Ephesians 5.16 says this, Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Our clock is ticking. Who, who knows that? I, I probably don't know that as well as others. Huh? Some others know our clock's ticking, eh? Yeah, when, you, when your knees start to give out or <laughs> your back starts to get a bit sore. We're chasing something that inevitably we're never going to catch. We are going into the fullness of glory at some point. But I always question this when I first became a Christian. God, if it's your will for us to be with you, when we get saved, why don't you just take us? Why can't we just rip straight into, into glory and be there? Why do I have to continue to nut this out with, with problems and and tears and heartache and, and, and he says, because I've got something for you to do. Because as, as Paul Todd Hill calls it, it's a perichoresis with me, a dance with me. I want you to chase me. I want to woo you. I want to be with you in this time. And I've got something for you. I was talking with my, my, my father-in-law and he said something quite interesting. He said, you know, I, I don't want to get to heaven and look back and see all the opportunities I could have missed to express the love of the Father. And I go, man, that's the heart. I don't want to get to that place and go, God, I wish I could have done more for you. I wish that I listened in those places. And this is not something where we, we have to then walk out and go, oh, do the right thing, Ben, do the right thing. But it's a relationship that I chase with the Father so that I can clearly articulate what he wants me to do. I want to walk away from every situation leaving the sweet aroma of Jesus Christ. I want to exit a conversation at a, at a dining table and have people go, man, that guy was bananas, but man, he was a, there was something about him. I don't mind if they think of bananas. I know I'm bananas. I, I want to leave that behind because that's the wisdom of God, I think. Do I do it all the time? Absolutely not. But when I walk away from those times and I, and I go, man, I, I don't think I did that well. And sometimes I have to ask my wife, did I do that well? No. Okay. I'll do better. <laughs> Guys, we've got to be chasing the wisdom of God because our time is short. And God has something for you spectacularly. 
He has the most incredible job for you to step into the most incredible inheritance. I promise you that. Ask him what it is. Five verse seventeen. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I love that. I love that Paul reiterates that. Five fifteen. He says. Chase after the wisdom. Do the things that are wise, not unwise. Then he says, because your time is short and the days are evil. And then he goes back and reiterates the fact, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. In order to not waste our time, we have to know what the will of God is. I wrote here a little question that someone might ask. But Ben, I've asked God what the will is and he has, and he has not told me. I want to challenge us a little bit. Is that okay? Is everyone up for a challenge? Driving to work and tossing a two-minute prayer on your way to work is not diligently asking the Lord what the will is for your life. I don't want to discredit that. I pray in the car as well. But what challenged me about Adam while Adam was here was he said, I wanted to hear from God so much that I told him I wouldn't eat until he talked to me. He earnestly desired to hear from God the Father. He earnestly desired, God, I want what you want. I will put everything else aside to chase who you are. Do I think we all should do that? Not necessarily, no. But you've got to be, be forward about how you spend time with God. As Christians, we get so quick to say, well, God doesn't talk to me, or God's not showing me something, or God's not revealing me something. Okay, so how, how long have you spent praying this week into that thing? Well, I pray on my way to work. Or I pray while I cook dinner. And while those things are good, they're not going in and closing the doors and saying, I'm not going to watch TV, I'm not going to talk to anybody else, and I'm not going to eat God until I can see who you are. When we get to that place, you know, I, I was talking, I think it was Brad during the week, and I said the scriptures so readily say that they fell on their face and they worshipped God. And I go, man, that's Phenomenal that they got themselves to a place where they were so earnestly desiring to see God, they were, so, they were so humbled by who he was, they fell on their face. I tell Adam's story not to ruffle our feathers that we should all go and fast, but I tell it because I go, here's a man who desired God so much that he waited and God revealed himself. Not only did God reveal himself, God said, here's who I am and here's more than what you actually asked for. He asked for a word for himself. Look at his story. He asked for a word for himself, and God gave him incredible words for many people. God now speaks to him on a regular basis because he stepped into that thing, and he said, God, for me, I'm not going to move until I hear your voice. Moses, before he goes out, says, I will not go anywhere, God, that you won't lead me. I won't move. I mean, again, go back to the scriptures. Look at the characters in the scriptures who refused to shift where they were at until they saw God speak to them. I think it's Ezekiel. Go and read the story of Ezekiel about what he had to do. He lays on his side. Naked. He eats his own poop. Guys, this that we're living in we have made this thing so easy, so wrapped up, so, so well packaged that we've made it all about the Sunday morning. I want to I challenge us here this morning. God has such big things for us. Every one of us in this room right now has the opportunity to shift this nation and to bring the kingdom of, of heaven. Every one of us. Every one of us was born into a family of greatness that says, You've, I've got a job for you, my son, my daughter, and you're going to bring about the nation of Australia. But we have to do something. We have to raise our hand and say, God, I will seek your wisdom. I will seek your face. I will step into the places that no one else will step into. I will step into the places that everyone else will but won't bring your name. I will stand at a pulpit and preach Exactly what I see you preach without buttering it up, without making it look snazzy and tight, because God, I want to see your face. You've given me a task and diligently I want to step out with that task. Do not be foolish, 
but understand what the will of the Lord is. James 1, 5-6, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by wind. Go to God with faith and say, God, give me the wisdom for this. I've watched guys in this house step into the most incredible opportunities with the faith and wisdom of God to see something come about. Josh and Sean went to China without a translator on the back of a faith-driven wisdom from God. Their heart for the business that they run is to fund the kingdom so that the kingdom can continue to grow and move forward. They go to God with faith to seek his wisdom on how he moves the business forward. That's what we're to do in this, is that we go to God with faith to say, God, show me your wisdom. Ephesians 5 verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I can feel everyone like, whoa, hold on. Hold on to your seats, ladies and gentlemen. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. I'm going I'm to explain something here. and I want you to not get upset with me, but just listen. And I want you to think through it. I love the ESV. I read the ESV. Predominantly, I read the ESV. But the ESV in this part of the verse is very reformed in the way that it wrote. The ESV is a reformed writer. I want to show you three other versions that have the same verse differently. The King James Version says, Do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The Passion Translation says, Don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Instead, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the NIV says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What I think we've done with this verse is that we've put people into this box where we said, if you've been drunk, you've entered into debauchery. But the verse is saying that it is, it is the debaucherous nature that comes from that place of drunkenness. That when you enter into that place of drunkenness, you act out of a wisdom that's not from God. So the Bible is not saying to you, if you get drunk, you are far taken away and now you're this horrible monster. God is saying to you, don't enter into that place of drunkenness because you will stop hearing my voice and you won't act from a place of wisdom that's from above and not below. So what we did in the church, this makes me giggle a little bit, is that we took this verse, right? And we said, okay, do not get drunk on wine. So we said, no one can drink in the church. And we took it literally. But the next verse, which says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We didn't take that verse literally. So we don't walk in and go, Josh, you were drinking too much. We, didn't do, we don't do that because we cherry-picked the things that we want and said, this is literal, oh, but then the next bit down isn't literal. Like you, We can't do that. We've got to break down the whole thing. Paul wasn't writing at one point and he stopped and went, there's my literal part done. Now I'll go in and I'll write some more stuff that's spiritual. He wrote the letter from start to finish with a heart in mind to say, seek the wisdom of God in your life and he will reveal the things that he has for you. So when it says, do not get drunk on wine, it's because when you enter that place of drunkenness, what happens? You lose the ability to act out of who you really are. One of the things that, that stopped me, I, I, I used to drink quite a bit with my buddies and I grew up in a town where that was what you did. We didn't have anything else, so you'd go over to a party and you just drink. And the thing that really upset me, the thing that really broke me down was that I'd wake up in the morning and I'd feel like an idiot because I'd look at the things I had done and be like, that's not me. That's not who I am. Even, even not from a Christian perspective, I was like, what? I said, what? I don't even believe in that. I couldn't control myself. And, you know, I used to get to a place where I used to get to a place where I was drinking and I, I could start to notice my body not reacting how I wanted it to. 
Like I couldn't catch things or I'd be gumby or I just, I started to notice my body and my brain saying, this is not you. It's almost like God was showing me that my spirit man stayed almost third party and said, this isn't who you are. And I got to this place where I realized, flip, if someone was to ask me a serious question right now, I'm going to look like a goose and I'm going to lose the relationship with that person. Among another, a few other stories, which I won't go into, that really changed my life in that. My, my, friend, my friend told me a story that he wanted to commit suicide. I woke up in the morning. I tried to talk to him about it. And he said, no, no, no I was just drunk. It wasn't real. He, he was different, a different person. In that state, he wanted to commit suicide. But outside of that state, he was fine. And to me, I was like, right, this, I can't do this. This is not me. I can't think clearly when I'm like that. That's the same thing that happens. You know, when, I won't go into it. The, the, the scripture is saying, do not enter into anything that stops you from seeing my wisdom. That's what we have to understand. We can't go, well, it doesn't say drugs in there, so I'm good to go. That's not what it's saying, guys. It's saying the whole letter is Paul expressing the fact of you've got to see the wisdom of heaven because the wisdom of heaven will bring about what you're supposed to do on this earth. Anything that stops that, anything that hinders you from seeing my perfect plan, my will for every moment of your life is what you need to remove from your life. It can be the same with any substance. Gambling, coffee, Spending too much time at work, spending too much time on Facebook, whatever is removing you from the wisdom of heaven is getting in the way of you becoming who God has asked you to be in order to see his kingdom come. That's what we have to understand. That's what we have to understand. God is, he's not saying, you get the point. Fantastic. Ephesians 5.19 Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, saying and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I said this. We don't become a Disney film. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't become a Disney film. That's not what this is saying. But what it is saying is that when you're in that place, of spiritual understanding, when you're in that place that we were in this morning and God starts speaking to you, who in that place gets an angry thought about somebody? When you're full in the Spirit, in that thing that we're in, it doesn't happen. Why? Because you're in communion with the Spirit of God. So it's saying when you're in that place, when you're in that place so close to God, God is revealing who He is, that's the place we're supposed to deal with one another. When Brad does something to frustrate me and I respond out of my, my flesh, which is rare, <laughs> And I respond out of my flesh. I'm not responding from that place of Psalms. I'm not responding from that place of thankfulness. I'm not responding from that place of, man, this is who you really are, Brad. So when, when, when Paul is saying, sing songs about one another. Communicate in, in, in Psalms and hymns, in the goodness. Exalt one another. Lift one another up. Which Paul ends this with saying something very incredible that is going to challenge all of us. And I'm excited about it. We have to act in accordance with one another as if we are in with the Spirit of God all the time. Because that's who we are. When you act maliciously at somebody, you're not acting from the spirit man that God's created you to be. You're acting out of your flesh. You're acting out of something that's not really you. Sorry, say it again. You're attacking the Jesus within each other. That's a good one. Ephesians 5.20. So, so Paul, in his letter, Paul says, Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. He continues on by saying, Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. From a place of thankfulness, we begin to exalt one another and see the gold in them rather than seeing the awfulness in them. I see the gold in you, and I'm thankful for that ringtone. <laughs> Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of your Lord Jesus. In Matthew 14, when Jesus 
gets the bread. When they come to him, there's the 5,000 plus uh, women and children. They give him the bread and they say, we don't have enough. He takes the bread and what does he do with it? He looks up to God. He gives thanks and he breaks it and there's enough. He looks up to God. He gives thanks and he breaks it. How do we enter the, how do we enter the, the courts? Thanksgiving, praise. A people of thankfulness. A people who come to him grateful for who you are. I grew up, I think I've told this story, but I'm going to tell it again. I grew up in, in, in the church where there was this thing where we used to always say, come expecting to see God move. It was massive. You know, we'd always say that, hey, we've got a, a, a speaker coming, come expecting to see God move. And I, I thought that was spectacular until I was listening to a podcast and a non-Christian, very wealthy, uh, um, uh, what are they called? A motivational speaker. He said this. He said, if you come expecting, you only look at the thing that you're expecting. And you only ever see that. You miss everything else because you're expecting this. If that thing doesn't go into your hand, you walk away going, well, nothing happened. But he said, if you come thankful for everything that you have, whatever happens, you were already thankful. So you, it's increased instantly. Non-Christian. Non-Christian. Using a biblical principle that the church has missed. So now we flip it on its head. We go, what did Jesus do? He was thankful. Before God multiplied the bread, he was thankful. For the little he had, he was thankful. And what did God do? He increased it. He increased it. So now we come to church and we go, God, whatever happens this morning, whatever happens or doesn't happen, I'm already thankful for everything. Now God moves over here and we see it because we're, we're, we're looking at this. But when we, when we come expecting, we're only looking here at our hand, the one thing he could give us. So we go, God, I'm coming expecting to see breakthrough and to see my, my leg healed. So we're only looking at the healing of the leg. And then we walk away, we go, how's church? Ah, it's all right. What? There was like five salvations. A lady got broke, broke free of, of oppression and, and, and it was okay? Yeah, I'm still limping out. Someone gave me a hundred bucks for the bill that I need to pay, but I'm still, I didn't get the thing that I wanted. But God's going, look at the things that I put in front of you. Look at the goodness I poured out. So now when I sit here and I'm going, God, did you move this morning on our meeting? And I look out over the, over the you, you people and I see Kirsten on her knees just worshiping God. I go, that's God. That's God moving in our people. That's God touching hearts to say, you need me more. I'll, you, you ask and I'll come. When we broaden our horizon, when we broaden the fact to go, God, this church doesn't have everything that I want it to have, but I'm so thankful. All of a sudden, things start to look a little better. But what we've created in the church, especially in the West, is look for this. If that's not there, is that church for you? If I look at all the other things that I've put before you, I didn't get this. And if I didn't get this, then I've missed everything. Guys, we've got to open our eyes. We've got to wake up and stop looking as though everything else. Ephesians 5, 21. Ephesians 5, 21. Paul lays down an absolute gauntlet of challenge. Submit to one another. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of the deep respect that you have for Christ. Guys, I've seen this not happen way too much in the church. We heard Paul, uh, Brad speak about, I think it was last week or the week before, about the Jewish man who said, for, you, for, for the sake of our relationship, you can be right. That's submittance at the reverence of Christ. Rather, I'll love you than us fight in this because I submit to you because I have reverence for Christ. 
we walk away, and, and, and trust me, this happens to me all the time. I go, God, yeah, I submitted to that guy and I gave him the win, but is he going to get what he needs for that? Like, is he going to get a slapping from somewhere? Is someone, are you going to give him a slapping? I didn't, but are you? Is there? Who's, we feel that, eh? Like, you let, that, you, you let the guy off the hook and you walk away going, God, you told me to do that, but I wouldn't have. I slapped him. We've got to let that go. Submitting to one another out of the reverence that we have for God. I love Jesus so much, brother, that you, you can have this thing. We let way too much stuff go where we fight over the most silliest of things and we don't allow one another to just go, hey, you can have this, man, it's yours. How you make a cup of coffee, man, that's, you, if you do it that way, you do it, man, that's yours. Because I have such reverence for Christ that I want to see his kingdom in this place. And if I start bad-mouthing you and talking to you, I'm acting out of the wisdom of below and his kingdom's not being forwarded because now I'm in my own little world where it's all about me and everything needs to be the way I want it to be. I'm not expecting any amens. I think I'll get my amens tomorrow or on the drive home, maybe. Just text them through to me when you, if they spark off. Guys, this is challenging. It's challenging because Paul's saying to us as a people in the midst of this book, and I'm going to hopefully my last point hammers something home, but in, in the midst of this letter that he sent out, this spiritual letter about spiritual warfare, about who we are, about moving the kingdom forward, about, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not just flesh and blood, there's a kingdom thing. And then he goes in and he starts to outlay some things, seek the wisdom of God, lay yourselves down to one another, submit out of reverence of Christ to each other. Because he's saying the enemy will use these things to enter into your homes, your churches, your lives, and destroy everything. He's saying do these things, not so that you can become a good Christian, but it's these things that will protect you from the things who are trying to harm you. It's these things that will allow you to step into the fullness of what God has for you. Watch these small things. So I go, so, so I'm sitting there saying, God, so how do we wake up? Okay, we, we wake up quite simply. We wake up, but we look careful at how we walk. We seek the wisdom of God. We make use of the time. We don't waste our time. We say, God, what are you doing and how do I continue it forward? We're not foolish. We understand the will. We seek on our knees. We seek the will of the Father. We don't get drunk on wine. We get filled with the Spirit so that we can see who He is and where He's leading us. We address one another from the fruits of the Spirit, out of the place of freedom in, in, in the Holy Spirit. We give thanks every day for everything, always, to God the Father. And we submit ourselves to one another. When we see a church, a local house, the church, starting to operate well in these things, we will see the kingdom of God manifest and moved into nations, into spheres, into cities, into regions. I want to end with this. Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus is speaking to Peter at the base of Mount Hermon. We've, we've expressed what this is. We've expressed Jesus explaining this. But he says, to Je he says to Peter, Peter, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to highlight something to you. Gates are not an offensive weapon. They're a defensive weapon. You don't go into battle carrying a set of gates. Right? You put the gates on your homestead, on your, on your castle, and when the gates get broken, the castle falls. I don't know if you've ever watched like Troy. Anyone seen Troy in that film? The protection they had was the gates, right? But it was the, the baddies. I can't remember who they were. My, my history's lost. It was the baddies trying to penetrate the gates to get in. Jesus is saying the church will penetrate the gates, the defenses of the enemy, and reign, reign chaos amongst the enemy. We see it the other way around. We see the church as huddled in the, in the castle with God protecting the gates saying, well, we'll keep praying, we'll keep holding them off. But Jesus is saying, no, no, I am readying you, my people, 
to advance the kingdom into the gates of the enemy. Guys, we are not a defensive people. We are an offensive people. Christians are not defensive people. We are an offensive people. We don't have to defend the spirits coming in to the city because the, the, the spirits coming in are frightened of who we are and what we carry. They know who Jesus is. Jesus I know and Peter I remember. You see, guys, I'm not saying we go out there and we, we get on mountaintops and we rage down. But from a place of prayer, we don't grovel into God because God's saying, hey, you're my, you're my soldiers. You're my hands and feet on the front line. Come to me and I'll empower you. Come to me with the wisdom. Ask for my wisdom and I'll give you the wisdom and I'll change a nation. We've got to understand everything we've been preaching, everything we've been showing through Ephesians is to explain that we are an offensive people. Powerful. This house, guys, I, I, want to, I just want to tell you, we are not small and insignificant. Please, understand that. We are not small and insignificant. God has a task for all of us. But you get to decide whether you're going to live that task out or not. You get to decide, will I be a, a player on the team? I've said all the time, I don't, I don't mind if it's this team, the team down the road. What I care for is that you are where God wants you so that you can be full and free in the things that he has for you. Because if you're here when you're meant to be down there, you're playing out a position here and you're frustrating yourself and the other players and they're missing something down there. But if you're meant to be here and God has something for you, this house is missing the gift God's put in you to be in here. They're missing the person that God has made you to be in here. You're not just a gift, you're a person. I was saying to someone a few weeks ago, they asked why. I said, you haven't been, you haven't been to a celebration in a while. And they said, why? everyone's been saying that to me. Why, why do they miss that I'm not here? And I said, because you're a valued member around the table that we sit at. I have five older four older brothers. There's five of us and our wives. There's ten of us that sit around the dinner table if we all come together rarely. One's missing, and you tell that. You can tell that person's missing. Why? Because they're a family member. Because what they carry, the jokes they tell, the stories they have, the things that annoy you are missing. <laughs> the jobs they do are missing. When I, if I challenge you and say, I haven't seen you in a while, I'm not condemning you. I'm saying we miss you. It's a family. Your presence at the table is missing. And not only that, the teams, the teams are centre forward short. The team's missing their goalkeeper. God is raising people in this house and I want to encourage you to step into what he's raising you into. And I want to encourage you into this. Get on your knees before the Father and ask for his will. We read that verse. If you ask, he will give it to you. I know it's challenging. I'm not going to apologize for the challenge. But it's where we need to be going. It's where we need to be heading as the body of Christ. So why don't we pray and then we can go and get some coffee. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We always want to be integrous with the scriptures. Uh, Ezekiel didn't lay naked. It was Isaiah that wandered around naked. I got that wrong. <laughs> and secondly, he didn't eat his own poo. He, he was supposed to cook on it. And then he had a little bit of a discussion with God. And God said, okay, you can use um, a cow's manure, animal's manure. But he still ate his own food. Okay, I just wanted to be integrous. The other yes. thing is, during, during Ben's preach... We're speaking about wisdom, and he started talking about wisdom, and I, I felt there's a man here. You don't have to put your hand up on anything. There's a man here who's in business, he's struggling in business. You've been asking God. Um, maybe this is a word of wisdom from him. I feel you need to give away, tithe, however that looks to you, to the poor, to a person. It can be different every month, into the life of your church, whatever it is. Tithe on your, on your, on your company's earnings. Take 10% of what your company brings in and give it away and see what God, what God does. 
He, he enter into the sowing and reaping principle of the kingdom and, and, and see what God does for that business. Because you, you're struggling in it, and, and, and I think you're struggling because you're trying in your own strength. God's actually going to ask you to take a risk and step out of what is, it's, it's ridiculous for a company to give away 10%. It's absolutely ridiculous. But if you do it, and it's not going to happen immediately because God's going to test to see if you're doing it to test him. <laughs> but you have to consistently give it away, and, and God's going to turn around, uh, turn around the, the opportunities for your company. Before I pray, if that is you and you want to have prayer in that area, come and see Brad or myself and we will pray for you. Also, if you have heard something here this morning that you've never heard before, if you don't know who Jesus is, if you don't know what it is I'm talking about and rambling on about, come and see me. I'm not scary. I'm not going to yell at you. We, just, we can chat through. If you don't know Jesus and you've just sat through 40 minutes of me explaining how good his kingdom is, please come and talk to me. I'd love to explain who Jesus is to you. Let's stand and we'll pray. And then I promise you can have coffee. Heavenly Father, God, we honor you and we worship you, Jesus. Father, as a people, we ask for your wisdom. We ask for your wisdom in our families. We ask for your wisdom in our businesses. We ask for your wisdom in this church, in this house. We ask for your wisdom in the way we navigate who we are. We ask for your wisdom when we sit at, at the restaurant, Lord, to carry your image, to be who you've created us to be. And God, I pray this morning that everything that, that you want to say to us it penetrates our hearts, God sets a fire ablaze. And anything that I've said out of my own manliness, Father, won't you just allow it to fall to the ground? But the things that you want to say here this morning, God, allow it to set us on fire. Allow it to change us. Allow us to go away from here knowing how to implement the things and the strategies and wisdoms of heaven. God, we want to honor you. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for everything you've already done in this house. I thank you for everyone who is here, for every heart that you've altered. God, for everyone who couldn't be here this morning, Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for, for what you're doing here and who you are. And God, I thank you that your plan is so perfect. We love you. Man, we love you, God. With all that we are, we love you. And we just honor your precious name. Amen. Woo, go and get coffee. If you if if you're a 